Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Rob Matheson. Relations between China and the US have often been described as fraught, tense, and strained. Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping are trying to change this. They've held their first virtual summit to resolve their differences. So, did they succeed? Okay, let's bring in our guests in Beijing. We've got Victor Gao, who's chair professor of Suzhou University. In Washington, D.C., Heino Klink, former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for East Asia. And in Oslo, Glenn Deason, professor of international relations at the University of Southeastern Norway. Welcome, gentlemen, uh, to the program. Glenn, I'd like to ask you first, as we've heard, relations between these two countries were extremely poor. But in just in the, a matter of a few days, we've had an agreement on climate change. Now we have this apparently very cordial public meeting. What do you think is driving this change in emphasis? Well, I think that uh, the U.S. has uh, attempted to reverse what has become the most important development in the international system, which is that China is uh, quickly becoming the most powerful state, while the U.S. is in relative decline. So uh, for that reason, I think China sees that time is on its side. Meanwhile, the United States has attempted to reverse this, uh, which has resulted in both military and economic conflicts. But given that China has pushed back as well, the U.S. has kind of tested its limits. I, uh, I, I think both countries have a common interest in not uh, allowing this to get out of control. Uh, but uh, th that being said, uh, I think uh, simply because the U.S. is the country in relative decline, it has more incentives to challenge uh, what is the status quo. Victor, Glenn's saying there that essentially the, the China has, uh, is in a strengthening position and the U.S. is now at a disadvantage. Do you think that that is what has motivated uh, President Xi Jinping's um, acceptance of this public meeting with Joe Biden? No, I think uh, President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping of China, they uh, knew each other well for more than uh, one decade. Uh, they were uh, vice presidents of each other's country. They got along very well. And this meeting, the virtual summit, as we call it, is long overdue. It should have happened earlier this year. However, I think the fact that it takes place uh, is truly a milestone event in China-U.S. relations. It gives assurances to everyone in China, in the United States, that despite of all the differences, the top leaders of the two countries can sit down, be friendly, be cordial, as you mentioned, and discuss all the differences, rather than fly into temper, try to get to each other's jugular, for example, not only threaten their own people, but threaten world peace and development. This is the better side of China-U.S. relations, and I hope it gives everyone the reason to believe that they can get over their differences and they can find a way to get along despite of their tremendous amount of differences which need to be managed. Heino, was this meeting perhaps also a U.S. recognition that previous efforts to try to influence China's domestic and foreign policy have kind of foundered? Well, I would say, first of all, that I would concur with Professor Gao's assessment that the meeting taking place, the virtual meeting taking place, uh, that in and of itself is a positive development. And the fact that it was uh, frank and a candid and a cordial conversation is also positive, particularly when you juxtapose that to the meeting that occurred uh, earlier this year in Anchorage, which uh, quickly deteriorated. Um, that being said, I think that if you, re if you read the readout 
from uh, the White House, for instance, in the meeting, we can all assess that nothing substantive actually came out of the meeting. There were no deliverables. There were no real agreements to do anything. I think the, the, the biggest takeaway is that both countries, both governments recognize that uh, open and transparent and candid communications are required. And this virtual meeting on the heels of two telephone calls that have occurred since President Biden took office is a positive development in that sense. I want to talk about that meeting in Anchorage for a bit, because when the U.S. Secretary of State and Chinese foreign ministers met in Alaska in March, their tone, as we've been saying, was a lot more hostile. Take a listen to this. I just made uh, my first trip, uh, as I noted, to uh, Japan and South Korea. Uh, I have to tell you, what I'm hearing is very different from what you described. Uh, I'm hearing deep satisfaction that the United States is back, that we're reengaged with our allies and partners. I'm also hearing deep concern about some of the actions your government is taking. China, as it has in the past and from now on, will never accept the U.S.'s meaningless criticisms. We must demand that the U.S. drops its frequent hegemonic actions of interfering in China's internal affairs. Okay, I want to ask Victor about this because we heard obviously very strong words from the U.S., but we also heard very strong words from China, and that is unusual. And I've heard under President Xi, whether he is directly responsible for this or not, there is, there is an assessment of that policy being described as aggressive diplomacy, that China was no longer simply going to sit back and, and take the criticism, but, but it was actually going to essentially take the fight to those who were opposed to it. But now we're seeing this change. Is there a suggestion, do you think, that China has been become concerned that that policy has overreached the mark and has brought it closer to risky confrontation with the US and others. And that perhaps is why we're seeing this dialing back of rhetoric. Meeting uh, took place uh, under very special circumstances. Uh, Weather-wise, it was very cold at that time. And then both Yang Jiechi and Wang Yi on the Chinese side, and then their counterparts in the United States, they were sizing up each other, trying to test water for each other in preparation for the summit meeting or the virtual summit meeting which took place today. Now, the working level meeting need to be as straightforward as possible. The Chinese side, the United States had no justification to talk to China from the position of so-called strength. And this is truly unprecedented. I think China feels comfortable enough to tell the United States in very serious and straightforward term that the relations between China and the United States should be level relations. No one should lecture the other from above. And China and the United States need to deal with each other as equals. Now, this is reflected very much in this virtual meeting today. President Biden and President Xi Jinping seem to get along very well, very cordially. They respect each other. They like each other. They can get along with each other. And the working level people, the Secretary of State, the National Security Advisor on the United States and their counterparts in China, need to deliver on the goodwill demonstrated by the two heads of state. This gives hope that China and the United States will not go to war, go to conflict, go to each other's juggler. They will get down to business to treat each other as equal. And then, as President Xi Jinping said, the world is big enough to accommodate both China 
and the United States. Glenn, this virtual meeting, if I understand it correctly, is essentially one step up from a phone call, but it's far below a physical face-to-face um, -face meeting. Now, obviously, there may well be logistical reasons why the, gen the, the men concerned couldn't have a face-to-face -face meeting. But what do we read into the fact that rather than having yet another phone call, they decided to have a virtual summit meeting which lasted three hours and was very public? Well, it's, it's difficult to say. I guess uh, there, there could be many variables... Uh... Uh, it, it could be uh, possibly reducing uh, uh, well, the fallout if, if, the, if the meeting would be a failure. Uh, it could be uh, well, simply caution over the pandemic. Um, or it could simply be um, not, not wanting to take a, a real meeting until we, they would see how this went. So I, I, I agree with uh, you know, what was said, that... Uh, uh, the, the previous meeting in Alaska was more confrontational simply then because they were kind of uh, testing each other out and uh, pushing back. And obviously, uh, the, the thing for China, but uh, as well as Russia for that sake, is uh, they, they're very reluctant now to be addressed from this position of sovereign inequality in which, for example, the US or EU for that sake will come. And the point of departure will be to lecture them um, so instead, they're insisting then on having this uh, yeah, meeting of sovereign equals. Now, I think this meeting went much better than the, the, the former, uh, pretty much because this was not how the meeting started. Uh, Biden did not show up to lecture uh, Xi Jinping. Instead, there was it, this had the feeling of a meeting between two equals, which has a common interest, therefore, in seeking uh, cooperation and reducing tension. So I think uh, that, that, that set the format immediately on, on the right track. Now, that being said, uh, given that this meeting went well, it's quite possible that uh, it can be upgraded then to an, another meeting actually in, in person. Um, but it, it all depends how this plays out. I would just add also one difference this time was um, Biden keeps pointing out that this needs for common rules of the road, which is what the Americans keep referring to the uh, to the so-called rules-based international system. Now, uh, this is a very bad point of departure of talking to the Chinese because they, in my opinion, correctly interpret this as a somewhat Orwellian term since it doesn't actually uh, consist of any common rules. So the Chinese insist on then operating under the rules of international law and under the UN Charter. So on the contrary, we see that often the US tends to, when it speaks of values and the rules-based international system, it implies that it has the prerogative to use liberal values to exempt itself from international law. And I think that's why it went so bad in Alaska as well, when they stepped up to the Chinese and began to lecture them about all their internal affairs, which obviously would not be acceptable the other way around. So I think that was the main reason why this meeting went so much better than Heino, mm. let me ask you about that, that element of, uh, of creating a common understanding of the world in which both countries live. Do you think that we are seeing a subtle shift in, in U.S. policy in as much that it is trying to, um, as, as Glenn was referring to, uh, talk about the rules of the road, the guidelines, the guardrails, I think was one of the phrases that the president used, in terms of the, for want of a better phrase, the playing field on which both teams uh, are on, rather than trying to directly influence China? Well, I would say that there has been a distinct evolution in Sino-U.S. relations since 2017, when the national security, the last national security strategy, was published, uh, where great power competition was specifically cited as the greatest uh, national security challenge to the United States, and we called out uh, Xi Jinping's China as being uh, a primary focus there. 
And I think, you know, I'd like to push back a little bit on this concept of the United States lecturing China. Um, if you go to practically any corner of the world today, whether it's within Europe or uh, China's neighbors in East Asia, there has been a confluence of interests and alignment with international norms, democratic values and the like that's been pushing back on what has been an assertive and even an aggressive Chinese foreign policy that is used, for instance, economic coercion against countries such as Australia and South Korea over the last several years, Lithuania most recently. And, uh, you know, it's I, somewhat ironic that the Chinese are complaining about the United States lecturing when Chinese diplomacy, quote unquote, has brought a new you know, term to our lexicon, that of wolf warrior diplomacy. So I would push back on that a little bit. Mm. With respect to the actual meeting yesterday and the fact that it was a virtual meeting, again, I think that's a positive development. It's a step up from a telephone call. But you know, at a certain point, hopefully uh, President Xi will be able to travel again internationally because he missed the international stage of the United Nations General Assembly uh, a few months ago. He missed the meetings in Rome. He missed the meetings in Glasgow. So at a certain point, hopefully, Xi Jinping will be able to venture outside of China to engage with his counterparts in person. There is a slight problem that the U.S. has, at least with regard to Taiwan, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if I understand it correctly, the, the, the U.S. has a policy that we talked about earlier about um, there being a one-China poli policy, that, that, that it agrees with the, with the one-China policy, but at the same time, President Biden has said it will defend its allies, i.e. Taiwan. To an outsider like me, that seems like a mixed message. It seems like two, two different sides of the same coin. Does that counter any um, uh, understanding or undermine any possible understanding when it comes to meetings like this? Because China, perhaps understandably, would say, well, you're saying one thing, but you're willing to do another, and we don't exactly know where you stand on this. Well, I would, I would say that U.S. policy has been consistent and longstanding since 1979. And I would also mention that we have domestic legislation, the Taiwan Relations Act, that governs our unofficial relationship with Taiwan. So if there have been no changes there whatsoever. Uh, again, the president yesterday reaffirmed the US commitment to the one China policy, the commitment to the three communiques, as well as the commitment to the six assurances, which my Chinese colleagues um, you know, failed to mention, but that is also an integral part of our relationship, albeit unofficial, with that of Taiwan. And the United States has also been steadfast in its commitment to no unilateral changes in uh, the cross-strait situation. Mm -hmm. And again, I would venture to say that particularly over the last 12 to 15 months, the, the exponential increase in PLA activities meant to intimidate and coerce the people of Taiwan has not done anything to stabilize the relationship. Mm. I want to move on from Taiwan because obviously that is a very thorny subject. We could be talking about that for hours. Um, Victor, let me ask you this. This is being referred to as an effort to reset relations. Albeit that the, the, the meeting between the two presidents, as I said before, appears to have been cordial. Is it 
going to be difficult for President Xi Jinping to be able to persuade other elements of his party, of his government, who might be more, might have stronger feelings towards the US, that this is now the route to go, that they, both countries can work together? Well, I think among the Chinese people and among the Chinese government officials, there is tremendous amount of goodwill for the United States. Uh, don't get me wrong, the Chinese people are not enemies of the United States. And if we look at the deterioration of China-US relations ever since Trump became the president in 2017, a lot of the problems actually were created by the American side rather than by the Chinese side. The Chinese side were on the receiving side of all these China bashing, for example. So I think if we can really get down to business, we can really call a spade a spade, China-US relations can go back to very constructive, very normal, friendly relations. I think in the United States, there are people who need to come to terms with the fact that China is soon becoming larger than the United States as an economy. That should not cause insanity in Washington. They need to treat this as a reality. The key is now that China is fast becoming the largest economy in the world, how can China and the United States get along with each other? And this should be the key thing that Biden and Xi Jinping need to talk about it. I don't think the United States will lose their sanity of uh, the mind if China surpasses the United States, because these two countries have very, very different systems. And I don't think China has any desire or commitment to replace the United States as the top dog of the world, because we simply see no fun of becoming the top dog of the world. That's why Xi Jinping said the world should be big enough to accommodate both China and the United States. Fundamentally, China and the United States should not be enemies against each other. They should be partners and friends with each other Glenn. going forward. Victor, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to come to Glenn on this because the meeting, as we mentioned before, was three hours long. We only saw a small proportion of it. Clearly, there was stuff that was being uh, discussed um, not in public. What evidence going forward do you think we should look at to see whether or not this meeting has actually had an impact, positive or negative, on relations between China, the US and obviously all the other countries in that region as well? who will, of course, be directly affected by any change in relationship between the U.S. and China. Well, I think it's wonderful that uh, obviously both parts meet in, you know, while uh, addressing each other respectfully. Uh, however, I don't think too much was achieved. Now, when it comes to economics, I think uh, uh, obviously uh, there's more room for maneuver in terms of both sides finding compromises. Again, this is a very difficult uh, part because I think that the economic partnership between the U.S. and China used to be defined by a very clear division of labor in which the United States would innovate and control the high-tech industries while China would produce and assemble. However, as we see, China, this is not the China of today. It's climbed up global value chains and now it's more of a direct competitor to the United States. So there's more of a need, therefore, to renegotiate uh, the economic partnership they had as well to also accommodate uh, under what format they can actually compete. Glenn, as well we're going to leave it there because unfortunately time has come up against us. But I want to thank all our guests, Victor Gao, Heino Klink and Glenn Deason. And that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ng, Amari Stambouli, Abdurrahman Wasami and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Alvaro Galan. The programme was edited by Anna Savic, Lynn Nguyen and Joe de Fries. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We're going to be back again on Wednesday. Thank you.